0: Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 187 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're having an awesome start to your day. March. I'm so happy because it is now the start of spring. I am so ready for warmer weather. And I hope that wherever you are, that you have survived winter and are also ready for spring. So today's podcast session is a topic that many of us have either gone through or I know that are in the process of going through, which is making the transition from a full-time job into private practice. What does that process look like? How do you sort of navigate it? And so that's what today's podcast session is all about. My guest is Trisha Miller. Trisha is a licensed professional counselor down in Houston, Texas. Her website is over at Trisha Miller dot com. And Trisha has a really, really unique background. Her undergrad degree was actually in business. She went and worked as a business analyst, went back, got a school counseling degree, worked in the schools for a number of years, and then got LPC hours, went back to the schools, and then had this realization just through a varying set of circumstances. Some of the just unique family things and all of those things that made her realize that private practice was sort of the next step in her professional and in her personal journey. And so today's session, we're talking about about Trisha's journey, the things that she's learned along the way. I'm asking a bunch of different questions. One of how did she realize that private practice was that journey? How did she make that transition? Um what does that look like, you know, especially if you have a full-time job and you want to see private practice pay clients? How do you especially navigate that and balance that with family time and those kind of things that are also equally if not more important just in life? And we wrap up with some of the things about just some of the fears that Trisha had and and how she was able to work. Work through those and how she even was able to develop a niche based on her personal experience and that fine line between self disclosure and is it too much disclosure? If you are thinking about creating an online course, I know that many of us may be thinking about that right now in the midst of the pandemic and in a post pandemic world, whether it's just to diversify our income beyond therapy work or. Uh, just to feel like we have a bigger message to share and we want to be able to share that in a different way uh, beyond just our geographic area. If all of that sounds awesome and you've been thinking about creating an online course, I just wanted to invite you to download the free A to Z online course guide. Uh, I launched my first online course back in 2015 to a $297 first sale and through a lot of just hard work and uh, a lot of trust in colleagues to purchase the course so we've how had over 275 of our colleagues purchase the Healthcasters podcasting course and I've learned a ton about what it takes to launch, grow, and scale a podcasting course and a course in uh, in general. And uh, that guide just has a lot of helpful information to help you get started. We're also launching something called Online Course School. This is a live cohort experience, so meaning that this isn't like a digital course on courses, although eventually it will have that, but this is more of a live experience where we therapists can gather over the course of six to eight weeks. And what I will do is I will teach you everything that I know about how to launch and grow a successful online course. We'll start with your idea and how to validate your online course. We'll then work through what your lessons and modules and all of those different things will look like will actually take time and and actually do exercises to get those down. We'll come up with your course title and your subtitle uh, in a way that your students are excited to want to purchase that course. And then we'll talk about actually how to record and market your course as well. And you'll be joined with others in community and you'll have an accountability buddy and a bunch of really awesome stuff. And uh, if any of that sounds awesome, I encourage you to download again, the online course guide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course guide. So we'll get right to today's session. So we'll get right to today's conversation. Here's my conversation with Tricia Miller from Miller.com. Hi, Tricia. Welcome to Selling the Couch.
1: Hey, Melvin, good to be here. Thank you for inviting me today.
0: No problem. We had a really nice conversation prior to this actual interview. So I'm extra excited for this conversation. We were talking about this, like how your life a year and a half ago to now, gosh, how it's so different. And I'm honored uh, that you would come on and just want to share and talk about your journey in private practice.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we've had conversations in the last year and a half or, you know, check-ins. It's been a whirlwind and I'm really honored to share my journey and help others who are on a similar journey or looking to private practice. It has been a journey of learning experience, setbacks, momentous achievements, but I wouldn't have traded. I wouldn't have asked for anything else.
0: How did you get into being a school counselor?
1: You know what? It's funny, Melvin. I did not plan on being in education. In fact, when I was growing up and I grew up in a Filipino American household mm. and, and I was a strong student and I was really thinking about going to the medical field. I had really done well in my science and math courses and I was a pretty good student. And so my trajectory was going to medicine. So when I had my first year in college, I decided that this was not for me. I did not enjoy those intro to science courses. And so I struggled a little bit in finding what I wanted to, to pursue. And I ended up in you know, a business degree from the University of Texas at Austin. And I thought that that would be stable. Yeah, right. And I thought that would be a stable career because I didn't know what I really wanted to do, but at the time it sounded good. And I think a lot of people do that. You know, it's just process of elimination. It sounded, I could get a job and and live a stable uh, and have a stable career. And my parents were on board, you know, Asian family values, stability, security, you know, success that were the metrics for success. And, you know, in fact, Melvin, when I graduated from University of Texas, my first jobs out of school were very unfulfilling. I worked at Enron Corporation. So I was in the oil and gas industry as a business analyst.
0: I had no idea you worked.
1: Yes, and I hated my job. I remember doing financial modeling and just... I was just not feeling my work, and so I'll get to the point where I'm going to be a school counselor in a minute, but one of the engineers had said to me, and he was going through a tough time, and he said, you know, Trish, have you ever thought about being a therapist? Because you're really good at listening to people, and that conversation planted a seed, and since then, and after I got laid off with the company, I began seeking a more career job Somewhere I can find relationship, uh, build relationships, be in a positive environment, and. I don't think I've really exposed myself in in college that way. So that's how I ended up in education. I was just trying to find a place where I could feel fulfilled and, and build relationships with people and, and have a sense of creativity. And I didn't really find that in corporate America. And so I, um, two th- I think I was in my mid-20s, uh, 2005, I started my teaching career at Kip Houston High School. It's a charter school, uh, movement school system in the U.S., and I was at the original high school, I did not know what I was ever think I would be in high school. I was actually kind of shunned, not shunned, but really discouraged because, you know, the, the money factor. But I found myself, I really enjoyed working with students. I really enjoyed working with families, helping them through the transitions in life. And so that really planted the seed. And from, and from two years of teaching, I decided to pursue my school counseling. Because I really enjoyed the conversations. You know? oh. I really enjoyed just the people, the people piece of education. And so I, I, that's where I started. Hmm.
0: That's awesome. How, how amazing all of this sprung from a conversation with an engineer.
1: I know. He's like, you never know. You know and I, I'm glad that he said that because I think a lot of people, you know, it made me question, why am I here? what am I doing? And for me, I I figured that I needed something meaningful. And that was kind of a missing piece, you know, in high school and in even in my, the way I grew up is that I needed something that would provide meaning and connection.
0: I've had like a similar realization, sort of multiple points in my life, but I feel like definitely more recently, which is, I don't know, this like almost simple realization of if all you do is measure success or meaning based on financials, like it's always going to leave you unfulfilled, you know?
1: I remember, yes, absolutely. I was unfulfilled, (laughs) Mm. but I, I decided instead of, okay, just do the same thing, I needed to go seek it. And I needed people to help me. I needed information. Hmm. So I decided slowly just asking questions. And what do you do? You know, asking, what do you do? Do you like your job? What's the best part of your job? What's what's your day-to-day routine? And so I began to ask questions of life, what, what life was really like as an educator. What were the ups and downs? So I could prepare myself, you know, could I, could, is this something I could do? And so, and I've done that ever since, you know, because <laughs> we're constantly evolving, Melvin.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. So you were in the school, and then did you go back to the school and you were a school counselor then?
1: Yes, so I was two years, and then I was newly married two thousand and seven I decided to go to graduate school to mm. pursue my school counseling, so I was going working a full time job, going to night class you know two two, three years down the road. I had my first son, <laughs> and then and I was finishing up my last year, so it was a balance. And, and stressed during that time, trying to finish up graduate school and having my first son. And then I took a year off from the schools because, again, I, I couldn't do that intense. It was hard. I knew that the schools were demanding. In my first year, I had to step back. And that was hard for me <laughs> because you're a new mother and you want to you know, you want to be a good mother, but also you had this role that you were, you had this, I was a well-respected member of my community at school and I didn't want to leave that, but I knew that I, I had to step back. So after five years at KIPP, I stayed home for a year and then soon discovered that I really needed to go to go back to work. (laughs) I really missed my colleagues and I, and I think also I had, I thought that being at home would be something I would love and enjoy, and I would just be enamored with my baby, and I love my baby, but I was really feeling the calling to go back to work. I missed my colleagues. I liked routine, and so a year later, I went back to the schools, and I switched schools. I went to a private school, and I worked there for three years until I had my second son, and so, and that's when I started to shift about, my values started to shift when I became a mother and family life was demanding on me. So that's when I started to think about private practice. It's awesome.
0: It sounds like this sort of realization about private practice, it was really based on where you were in life and sort of this wanting to align it was like some combo of wanting to align sort of personal fulfillment with where you were with family. And then sort of like finding a schedule to balance all of that. Does that, is that accurate? Is that?
1: Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, in retrospect, I was trying to figure out how my life would look like with my shifting values mm. in becoming a mother. And it's hard when you really don't know what you're doing as a mother <laughs> and, and you're trying and you're trying to serve students and families in the school. And, you know, there's really not that time. there's not that much time to reflect and figure out what is best for me. And, you know, what are other options out there? And it's almost like it was, it was almost that I needed to give myself permission to look outside of education.
0: So at the time when you were considering private practice, you were working as a school counselor?
1: So what happened was, okay, so my second son was born in 2013. Mm. Yes, I had always thought about, in the back of my mind, if I get burned out from being a school counselor, I need other options. Mm. And just in case I decide to pursue my LPC, I'm going to take the four classes needed and take the exam just in case that would be an option. I wasn't quite sure at the time. Mm. I was okay in my school, but I wanted... To have something just in case I decided to leave. And I think, you know, knowing how the schools are and how intense the roles of counselors are, I questioned my sustainability. And that was something for me. That's why I had that fail safe of pursuing my LPC courses when my second son was um, almost born. So I, when I did that and um, I had some difficulties with my second pregnancy and I resigned from my private school of three years and that's when I, I became, eligible for, became eligible to do my LPC hours. And that's where I started my clinical field work at the Center for Postpartum Family Health. It was a new agency with Sherry Duson. And that really exposed me to private practice Hmm. because, you know, Melvin, I did not even plan on working with adults, let alone private practice, but that, because I needed hours when you're, you know, you need 3000 hours. You know, I wasn't at the school, I wanted something different and I was curious about how private practice life was and what more experience than to start somewhere where it's building. You know, I was being guided by a mentor and to see if was really interested in private practice. So it was kind of a test for me <laughs> and mm-hmm. curiosity that helped me, you know, with this private practice journey. And I was there for two years. Wow.
0: Getting the, uh, <laughs> I often think about like you know, all of her journeys to get these licenses.
1: <laughs> I didn't expect it, Melvin. And I feel I was very lucky because the owner, Sherry Duson, she was a seasoned mother. She had spent 15 years in private practice. She had two grown children. She knew how to run a business and she was helping two, three or other interns, not only with the counseling techniques, but also how to run a business. And that's where I was exposed to chimps and you know outreach and presentations, and so it was a whole nother skill set that I was exposed to, and that was invigorated by. What an amazing
0: like blessing to have something <laughs> like that come into your life. You know,
1: you need good people who are considering private practice. They need good mentors hmm. to show them that it's possible. And because Sherry was a mom herself, it was it was encouraging.
0: Yeah, I mean, you just had this little pearl of which, which is I think is very true. Which is, if you want to be somewhere, try to find someone who's already done that in sort of in a similar sort of life stage that you're in you know
1: and I will I will say this and um, Melvin. Because I grew up with parents who were um, they were work, they, they were loyal to their companies, uh, mm-hmm. my mom just retired forty years from her engineering company, My dad worked thirty years. I really wasn 't shown how to be a business owner, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was more important for me to learn how to do this because it was all new, and I find myself really enjoying working in the practice and i and i up, and so I did have a turning point because as I was gaining my hours with a center for postpartum family health. In 2015, my son was I think two and a half and a five, my husband got laid off from his job. And that was a big life change because, you know, I could work part-time and get hours, and my husband had his, you know, stable engineering job, and it wasn't an issue, but when there's a stop in income in your family, I had to step up and that's why I went back to the schools and I went back to my, my role as a school counselor. Yeah, I know. And, but it was, and so, you know, my, my dream or my plan of getting my hours out to the center of postpartum family health, and then kind of maybe staying there or going into my own, I really had to change direction because I had some family stuff going on that I needed to step up. And so um, I, I got picked up by a school, uh, Spring Branch Independent School District, and I was hired on as a school counselor in high school. Again, mm-hmm. I was familiar with the role, but it's been, it, was, had, it had been two years since I had or maybe a year and a half since I' worked full time so that was another shift. You know I had another change in my life: going back to full time work, having two young kids, and I knew I did not want to let go of my clients, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had to play this role of balancing being a mom getting my hours, finishing up my hours, you know, and being that stronghold for my family. And I did that for two years.
0: How did you, I guess at a practical level,
1: like, I would not recommend that on anybody, but that's what I had to do. Yeah. I found another, I actually switched supervisors and I found another place about 10 minutes from my house. Cause I was commuting 30 minutes to the center for postpartum health, family health. I moved someplace closer and I continued a small caseload over the last over the two years, along with my full-time job. It's crazy.
0: So, <laughs> at a practical level, so you're working in the full-time job during the day, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So, how when did you squeeze in the the clients?
1: So I made myself. You know, I knew that if okay. So I I knew that I knew that I didn't want to let go of my. My clients that I had seen for years, I created boundaries where I would see four in on a week. You know, I tried, I actually got burned out early on because I was scheduling six a week on top of the full-time job. And then there was night events at school and I burned out. So I learned my lesson. <laughs> I remember crying at home and like, I can't do this. This is really hard but you just do what you have to do. And I did not want to let go. And I'm so stubborn and I like control and I did not want to let go of my clients because I'm vested in them. I just couldn't let myself say, Hey, you know, I'm I'm taking this full-time role. I would be happy to refer you. I felt vested in their lives. I felt like I continue and I did. And I think I had the support of my family. I had supportive friends who would help when I needed to see my clients. And also my husband traveled a lot. And so he was away and so I leaned on other people to help me out when I needed to see clients at night. And I twice a night, twice a week, I would see, I'd book a 5.30 or 6.30 and I would do that. You know, it's hard. It's hard to do that. But for me, I had that goal. I had that big vision that carried me through. And eventually my husband's company, it, it, it stabilized. He was able to get off the ground. But it's still stressful because you're, he's high risk He's, we're both doing high risk ventures, <laughs> so different than what our our previous life was. So our life our life changed.
0: Trisha, I wanted to like shift a little bit and sure. ask this sort of question. Is so one of the things I feel like, and you're alluding to this, which is that many clinicians they really struggle with, especially the clinicians that are in full time with full time jobs. Mm-hmm. They really struggle with finding the time to see private practice clients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like what you did was you you sort of looked at the big vision and then practically instead of trying to see them at like every open hour of the day, because you knew that that would also be time away from family, right? You actually just blocked off like two nights a week.
1: Yes. It was very intentional about the way that my week looked. I knew how much energy I could expend Hmm. and I didn't open up Saturdays for me. That was manageable. I didn't know how long this was going to last. But that was okay for me. And, and in the meantime, I was also creating a website. And so I took it in pieces. You know, I had the clients, I didn't, I had people who would inquire about my services and I would I would discern carefully if I would take them or not. Mm. And so it was, it's just about establishing strong boundaries about the clients I did see and what other what other things that were private practice related that I could devote my time to. Mm. And so it took me about, nine months to build my website and I remember Melvin, you know, before I would start my school day, I would get up in the morning, I would exercise and I would chime in your podcast because I needed that sense of motivation to carry me through those long days. You know, it was the riches, the, the riches and the ninja. So uh, it, just so many podcasts that would help me keep me, that would help me keep motivated during those times where it was, it was helpful to know that there was, that it could happen and I needed positive motivation I liked your podcast. I leaned on your podcast because I know that I needed to be hopeful about my situation because balancing a full-time job with private practice is tough. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it is a tough uh, season and I and I think that because I had that mindset this was temporary, it is a season in my life and I knew that the grit or the perseverance would yield benefits down the road.
0: Uh, what do you think was the toughest part of balancing those two things?
1: Because I think when you're emotionally drained from a lot of trauma in the school because we had Hurricane Harvey, 2017 Houston. We had a very tough school year with a lot of crisis and I would find myself emotionally drained and I would off since like, can I, do I have the energy to see my clients tonight? And I think it's a lot of self-care. It's a lot of self, a lot of support and making sure that you have the emotional capacity. And I think it's also ethical. You know, you don't want to be running yourself thin and, and people relying on you emotionally. So, and I think also to Melvin, it was the unknown. I didn't know how long I was going to do this. (laughs) I didn't know, you know, how the business was going to fare with my husband. So for me, I had to withdraw from my social circle. And I mean, a lot of, things that I couldn't do anymore because I had to conserve energy. So I, people usually say, you're an extroverted. You like to go out. For that period of time, I was conserving energy. Hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I mean, it makes me think of that phrase, like saying no to yes. things, right? So you can say yes to other things, but I imagine that saying but no. But I was okay.
1: And... I, you know, during that time, I think I learned so much hmm. about my own personal. I just think my values shifted much more. I value time. I appreciate where I am now. I love the school that I was with, you know, and that's another thing, Melvin, when you're in a full-time role as long as, and you're moonlighting with private clinicians and you may not love your job. I think one of the things is having perspective of the job that you have. Mm -hmm. Make the most of what you have. Utilize the resources, the trainings, continue to make connections. If you're lacking creativity or freedom, put that in your job. So it's not, you know, it's not a drain to you. Mm. So the things that you're looking for in private practice, maybe you can integrate that in your own role because it's going to be, you're not, you're going to have days where you, you hate your job, mm. you know? And, and again, I have kids that I that come home to that I, I have got to cook or I've got to take them places. And I think that that was motivation for me, you know, is that I, I, it's not a place that it's not my ideal place, but I'm going to learn. And I'm going to learn when I can now, make the right connections, people who can potentially be referrals, people I can learn from. And I'm going to use this time to empower myself with tools, tools that I don't know now that could be useful to me in private practice. So you
0: were in the school, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then you were seeing clients. So kind of like a big picture over where you, like if, even if you could sort of like say like here are like sort of the three, like sort of pivotal moments, right? What did that transition from the full-time job to full-time private practice look like? Like, what did you like less than the hours or how do you, like very curious about this.
1: So I decided in March of 2018, I, I was ready to do private practice. I had, this would be my second year and I couldn't see myself continuing that life because it was so stressful. And I decided that I let them know that I wasn't going to be here and I was not going to be counselor the next year. So I did have my counseling. I did, excuse me, I had my website ready. So that was, that made me feel good. So having a website ready, I had also, I had, you know, I was at Memorial Counseling Center in Houston. And so I was telling my supervisor who or the owner of it, like I was ready to see clients come June. So I was prepping my connections to Hey, I'm ready. She's, she's opened up my calendar. So I kind of increased and I, I, before I left, I let people know where I was going to be. So again, that, that connection piece, letting you letting, you know, letting people know you're out there. And I would say, Melvin, having a website was key. I felt more confident in being out there. I felt legitimate, <laughs> you know, and then, and then also within that, having a website, I identified, my areas that I wanted to focus on and that was anxiety relationships and I actually wanted to work with educators Hmm. but 90% of people who see me in the practice are people who experience anxiety and they range from age 70 high school like seniors to elderly people as well so I was able to pivot around that area once I identified the niche area
0: how do you think those clients found you
1: I think Google, the SEO is very helpful. I've, you know, it's interesting. It's like, how did you find me? They, a lot of my, the clients, they like my psychology today profile. Mm -hmm. They also go to my website and where I practice Memorial counseling center. And it's a, an area in Houston where it's, it's known. And if you Google anxiety Memorial teen, my name comes up or the the center comes up. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of things. And then, you know, getting out there, with colleagues also is referrals as well. One of the things that helped me as as well in in getting my name out there, Melvin, I was a part of this association called the Houston Association of Marriage and Family Therapy. Mm -hmm. And I started when I started my clinical experience and I developed colleagues and relationships from there. And they've been really helpful in referring me people as well. So again, it's a combination of things of how is the website, being connected in the community, people knowing who I was who I ser- who I was serving and then over time I'm just kind of building up just building my name in the community and I do presentations as well I've done a couple of that a couple of those presentations I also created a podcast in let's see in November of last year and I also did a newsletter and so I think when I send those out I hope that my name comes to my friends or colleagues that I'm I hope when my podcast newsletter comes out that they know me like, Oh, Trisha, Trish can help somebody. She's Mm -hmm. a therapist. Maybe someone I know um, is experiencing anxiety or relationship issues, or uh, maybe she can refer um, me to someone. So I think I've done an okay job of doing outreach, you know, in in different facets. And I'm just so lucky that I've kind of figured this out again. I'm still trying to figure this out, Melvin, and I'm, I'm still processing this, but I think, what seven months into it, I think I'm doing okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you are doing more than okay. So I
1: that was, uh, a lot of, that was a lot of that was a lot of stuff, Melvin.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you one random thing. Like, how did you figure out what your what the topic of your presentations are going to be?
1: I think I use a blend of personal experience and what I'm strong in in the in the counseling field. And so, in the summer, I talked at the Postpartum Support International Conference on self-care mm. and anxiety and motherhood. And I totally, I've experienced all three of those because of my life transitions. And I've also, I've dealt with anxiety as well. You know, early on, you know, the, getting personal here and vulnerable, in my 20s, I had developed anxiety. And so I know that place where you feel alone and it's scary and you don't know how to get help. And so I use, you know, I self-disclose and I think that piece helps me resonate with my clients or when I'm presenting, you know, because I think today, and that's, that's the niche that I have is anxiety. Hmm. I know that many people often experience it and they don't know what it is. (laughs) And so I do a lot of psychoeducation, breaking negative thought patterns and I've really enjoyed just helping people with anxiety because I've been there myself.
0: I think you were alluding to this, which I think is very true, especially in this sort of day and age, which is like the power of vulnerability, especially in how we market things. It's always that fine balance for me of like how much to disclose, but sort of the general philosophy that I follow is, you know, I'm not gonna share anything that if my grandmother saw it, you know, she would be like mortified. But how do you sort of figure out like what you would disclose and what you won't?
1: I make it I do make it transparent. When Mm -hmm. someone comes in and they're needing help with anxiety, I do say I I I know that I can help you. And because I've been through this makes me a better therapist because Mm -hmm. I can empathize and I know what it feels like. And again, they have their own experience of anxiety, but I'm okay with this. I'm comfortable in my skin and I, you know, you have to self-check it. Is this beneficial for me or is it beneficial for the client? And oftentimes I, what I'm sharing is coming from a good place. And, and I think over time you get used to that. And I, and we have, we used to have supervision meetings and we like, where, how much do we self-disclose? How much do we do? Because when you're feeling it and we have that relationship with, with the, with the client, it's okay to self-disclose and I'm comfortable with that. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Trisha, I wanted to ask you a final question, which I I think a lot of folks have questions about this, which is, and a lot of worries. So a lot of times folks stay in full-time jobs because of like health insurance, for example, Mm -hmm. right? And the benefits that come with a full-time job. How did you handle that transition, especially like having a family and the health insurance and all of that?
1: You know, Melvin, I was really lucky. My husband carried the health insurance and that's mm-hmm. part of the reason I could do this because that was a stressor I didn't really have to worry about. He carried his own insurance and I didn't really have to worry about finding my insurance or, you know, that that was not really something that I had to stress about when going to private practice.
0: Right. So you are already under under? Yes. I was
1: under. We had. Oh my gosh, we had gone through five insurance companies (laughs) in one year. (laughs) When I was, I was when I was working to school. I was under my insurance, and then he switched three different companies. So I understand the the difficulties of finding the proper medical insurance, especially when you have kids. And so, but my husband, he was the one that was, you know, early on. He was the one that would handle the, the medical insurance.
0: And it's okay if you don't know this, but like anecdotally, do you know like what people typically do in a situation like that, where maybe let's say like a, they don't have a significant other or a significant other doesn't carry the health insurance? Like what are some options at that point?
1: You know, Melvin, I really couldn't answer that question. I know that it is a source of stress for many Private practice clinicians, um, so I really couldn't answer that question.
0: No, no worries at all. It sounds like I gotta probably create a future podcast <laughs> episode.
1: That on. is a, no, yeah. What to do with uh, my medical insurance, or maybe that's something that's keeping them from private practice if they have, especially if they have a disability or short-term health issue.
0: Yeah, absolutely, um, Trisha. I'm grateful for you. I'm just, I'm in awe of. You're such a go-getter, and I'm just, I'm in awe of. Even hearing today's conversation, just, I don't know, I I knew you were dealing with a lot. And I just, I don't think I fully understood the depth of what you were dealing with in building this practice. And I'm, I'm so proud of you. So.
1: Thank you, Melvin, so much. And thank you for being there and having this community for people like me who needed inspiration and motivation.
0: Yeah, no, you're so welcome. What are some of the best ways that folks can get in touch with you?
1: You can log on my website, trishamiller.com. It's T-R-I-C-I-A-M-I-L-L-E-R. And I also have a podcast, Working on the Inside. It's on iTunes as well, if you want to check that out. It's about meaning and purpose and how do you overcome life situations. So that's out as well. Perfect.
0: And I'll link to that in the show notes, which you guys can find over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 187. Trisha, thank you so much for doing this.
1: Thank you, Melvin. Have a good one. You too.
0: Hi there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tricia, and especially if you're in that process of trying to navigate. At leaving a full-time job and considering private practice or even if you have a part-time practice and you're trying to make that leap into full-time private practice. I hope that today's podcast session has just been supportive and, and helpful for you. Tricia mentioned a number of resources, which you can find over on the show notes page at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 187. And Tricia's website is again at com there was like a lot of things that I was just reflecting on with, with this session. And this sort of insight is not particularly like business oriented, but I was just reflecting on just the business journey, right? The I feel like many of us don't have sort of that training and just the courage and boldness that it takes for all of us to build these businesses. And more than anything, I just want to say that how proud I am of us for taking these leaps. Uh, It's not easy. And especially, especially in the niche and the space that we work in, but go us. So I wanted to invite you to download the free online course guide if you are thinking about launching an online course and just want some things that have been helpful uh, for me and some of the tough lessons that I learned along the way. You can again, download that over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course guide. And as I mentioned right at the beginning, we're actually starting a live cohort called Online Course School. This is a great opportunity to join with other therapists to validate and launch and record your online course. The best way to find out about this and to keep updated when the cohort launches is to download, again, the online course guide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course guide. Have a great rest of your day and I'll see you next time.
1: Bye.